Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horrid progressive standards that never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about a real trip of a movie. It's a remake of an Italian movie, which somehow got even weirder in being remade. It's Suspiria. Uh, I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cenobites. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? I... Irrespective of this movie's quality, I'll say the by far the biggest fright it gave me was when I saw the runtime. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is two and a half hours long. This movie is three minutes shorter than Dune. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, I, I feel like this movie easily could have been a miniseries, especially like with how they break it up in there anyway. We'll we'll jump into that. Uh in a minute here next up my frequent collaborator comics artist and certified vampire aficionado emily martin how are you tonight emily um <laughs> deep sigh deep sigh that's it's that's a joke but um i actually like this movie so um good yeah i am into it tm <laughs> and our special guest tonight comics artist an artist of resonant relative youth volume and wonder woman Skylar Patridge. Skylar, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing tonight? We're doing okay. fantastic. We are doing good. And thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Oh my yeah. God. Thank you guys for having me. This is a blast. <laughs> Man. We're, we're always up to talk about some real weird horror movies. And this one is uh, decidedly, it leans Ooh. into the weirdness, I feel like. Real, real weird, this one. Yeah. Well, the one of the early things that threw me for a curveball was how traditionally feminine Tilda Swinton was, which is her dresses and long hair. And I'm like, what's the twist? And then I realized Tilda Swinton was also the old man doctor. I'm like, there it is. Yeah, which is so, like, I I was waiting for that to be, like, a plot point. Like, I love no, that it wasn't. A- it's just Tilda Swinton. I bet that's how they got her for the role. She looked well, at and- and was like... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I bet you looked at this. She was like, eh, I don't know. And they're like, oh, fuck, we're going to lose her. Uh, we'll let you be the old man, too. And she's like, oh, fuck, I'm in. It was such a weird flex. Like, it's not it's not way out of nowhere, but I'm like, I mean, cool flex, guys. And I was wondering what was going on with that doctor because it was like he was speaking German and I don't speak German. So sure. And then when he was speaking English with a German accent, I'm like, that sounds like someone making a German accent. This doesn't sound like someone German trying to speak English. And then um, an hour and a half into the movie, I had to pause because, you know, I just couldn't stand it anymore. I really just had to use the bathroom. Um, And I had an hour of movie left. So uh, yeah. So then I, good old X-ray was like, told us Swinton as, Dr. Kempler or whatever. And I was like, oh, 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 oh. I'm telling you, Hollywood time travel comedy, Timothy Chalamet, Tilda Swinton, they play an older, younger version of the same character. Sure. I'm into that. Well, in the marketing for the movie, they actually created an entire persona for Tilda Swinton as that character. So there was actually a name that they invented of a German actor so that you wouldn't know 
I hope Tilda Swinton did press as that actor. <laughs> Is there somewhere yeah. where we can find old man German Tilda Swinton like on Kimmel promoting this movie? Just bloopers. Of- you know, I, I was yeah. reading about this and I feel like they almost got that far. And there was a point where they were like, you know, they had billed this guy and they were like, oh, well, uh, they were going to say that he had died in like the run up to the movie coming out so that like, you know, nobody would call them on that. And they decided that was a step too far. And they we're just like, oh, no, it's it's Tilda Swinton. Like, it's it's fine. Well, and Tilda was also Elena Marcos, too. Yeah. The, yes. Yeah. The mother Which, of Superior. Oh, boy, was does that just get an A plus on the creepy, gross, scary design scale? Yeah. I mean, it's. um I have things I want to say about it, but um, who here has seen the original Suspiria? I have. For start. Okay. Um, I have not. Okay. So the original Suspiria is part of a trilogy and that is Suspiria, Tenebrae and Mother of Tears, which refer to the, um, the whole mythology about the um, three mothers. The the three mothers. Yeah. I was going to do the Latin thing, but I don't have that written down easily the mother of size the mother of tears and the mother of darkness darkness Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. and i actually haven't seen tenebrae or mother of tears so i I don't know if they're going to do a new version um of those as well but um the superior verse yeah this i mean this movie might as well have been all three of them um as far as i'm concerned yeah because the original superior was like not very long it was a very short movie and like apparently they were like okay so if we flip this over it's now a cone and now it's like three times as long because we're adding a shit ton of stuff yeah i i will say i suspiria the original was one that had been built up to me a long time as like a real horror classic something everybody who loves horror has to see i well it is visually striking it's a really visually interesting movie the original um, it's real bright, real loud, um, real giallo. Like it has that just Italian horror sensibility of just blood and color and music everywhere. Uh, it doesn't Argento. make a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I know this All movie vibes. is trying to explore something in detail, but I do <laughs> not know enough about mid late 20th century German history to know what that is. Yeah, so the original movie did not go into the the backdrop of this film, which is Berlin in 1977, right during the Lufthansa Flight 181 hostage crisis, which has something to do with it. Yeah, it, it was really Red confusing to me. Yeah. Because it is, they do frequently refer to the RAF terrorists, which are, I know RAF is Royal Air Force. <laughs> Apparently that's the Red Army uh front yeah um yeah. and they're completely like it was a you know post post-war like terror organization terrorist organization in germany um, i feel like there's a whole non like horror movie in the background here where it's chloe grace moretz's character being this girl who travels goes to the elite dance school and then falls in with like far left political groups and that in the 70s and that's what the movie is about but that's a whole different movie a whole different genre but i think that'd be a pretty interesting movie yeah and i think we come into the movie after like 
what could be a whole other movie happening before, which is just a rehash. Like we're watching almost a rehashing of what's happened to Chloe Grace Moretz's character. So like everything that uh, Susie goes through that we watch has hypothetically been happening to Patricia just as we come into that story. So you've got this whole like, not kind of just being dropped into the middle of something and not having that disorientation mixed with actual national disorientation that's going on with like a terrorist attack and, and a hostage situation, so. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, we should do the, the sort of basics up front here. Um, it is directed by Luca Guadagnino, who uh, also directed Guadagnino. like almost at the same time, Call Me By Your Name, um, which I guess came out, ended up coming out like immediately before or after this. It's- um, And the thing about Call Me close. By Your Name is, Shrug. <laughs> I don't seen feel it. like opening that can of it's worms. Not this. Um, <laughs> it's, Let's it's go to the far... less creepy movie and talk about Suspiria. <laughs> uh, it is written by uh, David Kajganish, um, and it is based on the the characters in movie of Dario Argento and Daria Nicolodi, um, and it stars. Dakota Johnson, who I only knew before this is the girl from Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, Mia Goth, who's in like everything. Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz and Tilda Swinton times three. Um, and the IMDB on this is uh, a darkness swirls at the center of a world-renowned dance company. One that will engulf the artistic director, an ambitious young dancer, and a grieving psychotherapist. Uh, some will succumb to the nightmare. Others will finally wake up. Um, and guys, what would you say is the scare level for this? Did you say it's spooky as in not scary, spooky as in a little scary, terrifying as in very scary, or just generally existentially disconcerting? I'd say spooky to, to the body horror is pretty terrifying. Yeah, it has these moments like it's like yeah. crescendos and then it pulls back and then it crescendos again and pulls yeah, back. Yeah, there's long moments of like spooky punctuated by moments of like scary. Yeah. Yeah, the body yeah. horror is no joke. So. Oh yeah, the yeah. uh the one particular scene in the mirror room definitely stands out as the most as like the best horror movie horror scene of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's rough. Um yeah, I would say definitely it it sort of hovers between spooky and terrifying. Um sometimes getting downright terrifying. Uh it is it is definitely existentially disconcerting because there is a lot of this movie in which uh, you and the characters on screen do not know what's going on. <laughs> um, and it's it's handled well in a way that like just barely was keeping me in there for a while because I was like, this is a lot. I don't really know what's happening, but and I'm not sure that I'm getting everything because I don't know all the historical context. Then you get to the horror and you're like, oh, no, no, I understand this. I well, understand did, this perfectly. Did anyone else just get a very ethereal dreamlike feel from this movie? Yeah, like, it honestly I, yeah. felt hard to remember what had just happened, but it also didn't seem to matter. Yeah, well, there were a lot of sequences that were punctuated by random like scenery and editing. And that's another thing that this movie is um, the the sound effects in this movie are kind of jarring because you have these really loud background sounds uh, of the dancers and of the building and um, of a lot of breathing. There's a lot of like half of the soundtrack is breathing. The other half is Tom York, um, which is a respite from the just like heavy breathing and banging and ambiance. 
wild that Tom York just fucking shows up. <laughs> Scores well, like the whole freaking movie. Yeah, he does. But then he like has a couple songs in there. But in the very beginning, I'm like, wait a minute, this is Tom York. And then I was about to look it up and it no. was like, and it's Tom York. And I'm like, okay, cool. It's overall a good score. And then you get the moment where he starts having, where we get his vocals. And also we get a weird, not super well done slow-mo where it really just make everything look like a dark radio head video. I mean, that works for me. And I think that was them leaning into Jalo. Like there yeah. are there are moments throughout the movie where I feel like they lean into it, specifically with dream sequences, like when they're attempting to put the dreams and thoughts into Susie's dreams, into her mind. Like they're going hard on Jala with like the rainbow patterns on the walls. And as Madame Blanc is sitting there and all that like fuchsia purple comes up behind her. Yeah. Like, they do, they do callbacks to its source material without just leaning full into Jala. Like it's, it's its own movie. I love It has its own thing. I love uh, Swinton as Madame Blanc. Honestly, yeah. I thought like she just, I, I thought she, I guess in all of her roles, but I guess especially in Madame Blanc because who is less distracting? Why are you an old man? <laughs> uh, but she, I, I think she just really did an excellent job in this movie in all of her roles. Yeah, I, I think she does mm-hmm. great. And I think, like uh, like Skylar was saying, I think it has a lot in common with the sort of the feel, the dreamlike feel of the original in a very, like it feels like a dream in a very different way in that like the original feels only sort of vaguely connected together things just happen and you're not sure why they happen and they don't go anywhere and it feels like a, a nightmare in that respect and that like you don't know what to expect you don't know what's coming and this one feels much more like a nightmare in the like uh oh it's like th- there's stuff that's not explained you're not fully sure why things are going on there does seem to be much more of like a logic to it than the original but this is much more like uh, you know, you're you're walking down the street and suddenly you're watching something horrible happen. Um, you know, yeah. in that kind of dreamlike way. Um, and I think that the 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 madams, the the witch's coven, feel so much more threatening in this version, whereas they're kind of breezing in and out of the original one. You know, they're yeah. they're there, but there's not that like I don't know. I just rewatching it again, I found myself feeling so much more threatened by the women that are controlling this dance studio than I, I did watching the original one where, you know, there's, there's, there's men at the, in the original one, there's men at that dance academy as well. And there's, like I said, the, the teachers and the instructors kind of aren't always there. They're almost just like a presence as these weird things are happening. And there's not so much that they're guiding, you know, dragging this character through this gauntlet essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, trigger warnings that we might want to you know let people know about if they're going to watch this movie it is full of psychological and emotional manipulation gaslighting is sort of the least of it uh there's sexual assault imagery body horror gory uh there's abuse there's murder there's uh a lot of uh holocaust references yeah, a lot tr- of tr- trigger oh, yeah. warning for trigger warning for the holocaust for sure uh yeah. a movie uh, finally a movie uh, that really does address Jewish themes, even if it doesn't actually have a Jewish character. But yeah. I'll take it. We're not sure about Dr. Klemperer. We're, we're, I mean, well, his his wife was registered. You mean not a Jewish but, character, not a Jewish actor? 
I, well, yeah, well, I don't know. There was some about Dr. Klemperer where he was trying to escape something. I didn't catch all of that. Okay, but. no, I may, I, and I will grant you, this movie, I found this movie a little hard to understand. Yeah. So I, I will chalk it up that there is at least a 75% chance that I am a swing and a miss on this interpreter. Uh, I thought he was an Aryan man married to a Jewish and his wife wanted to flee and he dismissed her concerns until it was too late. And that was part of his guilt and what the witches uh, or what the coven kind of taunted him for when they lured him in. But I yeah, might be missing details or gotten things wrong. I think I think you're picking up stuff that I I think you're you're picking it up just fine because I there was a lot of stuff with him that was going on really quick that I was trying really hard while I was like writing down the synopsis. It's like trying really really hard to catch up with. Um, Skylar, and what, were you say? what was that? I said Skylar. What were you gonna? Oh, yeah. say oh I was just saying that that's that was my reading of that situation as well. Then yeah yeah oh, cool. Um, and he did get her registered as Aryan that I saw because he was looking over her papers. Um, but yeah, but then it didn't end up mattering. Yeah, because then she was and taken to a camp anyway. And then I knew I saw a menorah in his office or apartment, uh, but I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be him being Jewish or a memento of his wife's Judaism. Mm-hmm. All right. So. So yeah, that's our that's our yeah. spoiler warnings. So yeah, there's there's lots to um, lots to be triggered about in here. So you know, do do go in with caution. Um, but we're gonna jump into the this holy spoilery section. And I wanted to start that off by saying, uh, Skylar, this was your recommendation, something you wanted to bring in. So what was it? What is it that uh, drawn you in about this movie? What why did you want to talk about it? Um, this was one I would say within the last five-ish years that just kind of haunted me. And I think that that's the purpose of that film. Like we've talked about it already is that it's, it lands, but it also feels like it's fleeting. Like you kind of aren't 100% sure of everything you've watched and it's hard to kind of place it, it into any kind of box. And I think I just kept coming back to it both from a you know visual standpoint. I think, I think it was filmed very interestingly. I liked the historical backdrop that they actually went with the time period of the original um, and addressed what was going on at the time that movie was being filmed. Um, I loved how the Berlin Wall was present in so many of the exterior shots. Yeah. Like, yeah. Talk about using location to build character. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, the, the time uh, that you're mentioning is, is really interesting because it's, you know, that the current events at the time the movie was being filmed don't matter at all in the original because they sort of right. place it out at a school in the country and um, you know, there's no, no news, no mention of really the war even in that. Um, and it's so sort of ever present in this. Well, one thing that, and again, I may be off base that frustrated me about the movie is especially you get to the end. One of um, the last lines is like, we need guilt, we need shame. And you know, we talk about there's that, like some innocent one and, uh, you know, and then there's all the shame and guilt involved in the Mennonite, uh, in Susie's Mennonite upbringing. If that even was the case, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, or maybe or maybe crazy Mennonite mom was just onto something. Maybe she knew bad vibes, which is a weird take for the movie to be like, you know, who was right? Abusive religious zealot mom. <laughs> 
well, that's, nailed it. The, the messaging of this movie is really weird. Um, and in that, it does kind of sit in the um, the more European um, context because it's like it's you know with with the uh, 1977 Berlin you have these ideas about uh, all these these questions of identity and um un, uh, un- uncertain futures and cold war and you know in this particular case not so cold war um well, it felt like the movie was flirting with or, and flirting is a bad word um <laughs> was on the edges of exploring what it meant from a perspective of national and collective guilt to be in Germany in like those immediate decades following World War II. But, and I feel like, and maybe I'm reading in just too much, but I felt like it was getting close to it, but I don't feel like it ever really adequately explored it. I agree. I think there's a lot of things that the movie was really getting close to that it didn't really, I didn't see like a very strong message either way about that particular thing, whether it was that, because that was there. And it was also decidedly there. Like the, there was nothing about Germany and the, um, in, and German history in the original Suspiria. It was just all about this school. Um, and in this case, uh that we have the character i don't think dr klemperer is in the original in the original movie no yeah that so, makes sense because there's so much screen time dedicated to dr klemper yeah i mean there's yeah. a it's a kind of crazy how much screen time he gets if I remember correctly, but like he is much less important plot wise Again, um, that's why I'm convinced that's how they got Swinton on board because they were looking at they're like, well, we can't fucking yeah, we right. can't fucking cut <laughs> the klemper scenes. That's why Tilda signed on. We made her up. We're gonna look at her. Um, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to me. Um, you know, I, I think we're gonna have to kind of go out of order here because I, I do want to kind of talk about the themes of this movie and like what we think they are because there is this um, this sort of uh, the the movie seems to admire the the witches much more than the original. Um, you know, the original, they are just sort of hardcore, evil, bad. Like, yeah. it might as well be Rel Doll Witches. Like, um, <laughs> and this one, it's like, they were strong enough to keep this dance academy working in Berlin, like, during Nazi Germany. Like, they kept this thing going on its own, like, uh, through that, defended it against these people and, you know, kept it going through uh, all this time. And they, they've really like devoted themselves to this place and this art and this, you know, witchcraft. Um, and then the, the art, the dance really matters in this. Whereas in the original, it, it doesn't like yeah. it's much more a setting than a part of the story. Um, and I, I think it's interesting that it has this sort of love for them that also, I think in the, the end of the story ends up sort of, um, sliding back the other direction because it is ultimately a story about a, a group of aging women who are keeping themselves and their institution running by murdering the younger women rather than training a new generation of women to take their place they yeah. are you know literally robbing them of their bodies i mean i think whether i think there's definitely that theme and maybe that's the best one within the 
oppressive feel of the endless snow and rain and the Berlin Wall everywhere. And with them, as you said, being older women keeping it down, just these, it's a very palpable feel of the corrosive nature of ossifying and intractable power structures. And that's mm-hmm. definitely the most English majory thing I've ever fucking said in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very astute. I mean, um, I've, I've still been trying to, to figure out all of the different things about this movie. And, and Jeremy really have uh, given us a lead here, both, you know, and Ben, um that that uh the meaning addressed to that which is the uh the older women sort of preying on these these younger women um or i should say the 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 old preying on the young as opposed to investing in the young um which is also more 2021 yeah why that was definitely a theme i wanted to to bring up so i'm glad that it got because it is it is very much appropriate for now and seeing the watching it again and seeing the predatory nature of the older women in this dance studio. There's, there's a moment that uh, Madame Blanc, who is uh, Tilda Swinton's main character, most recognizable as her playing them character, um, who is one of the head matrons of this uh, academy. And she's having a, like a telepathic conversation with Susie um, and this is sort of in the like act five or act six of the movie or whatever, because this movie does say at the very beginning, these are six acts. We're not going to tell you about the epilogue, but there's there's six. Of them. Um, the uh, the conversation they have where Susie says something like, you know, why is it that we always just assume everything is going to get better? Um, I think she was like, why do people assume the worst is over? Yes. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that was the exact that was the quote. Um, and then there's this, this Which, interesting, go ahead. That please. feels like something from the seventies. Cause now I feel in the 2020s, nobody expects that the worst is over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, in Germany, especially like there's, there's, you know, everything's ongoing. And there's also this thing that, that Tilda Swinton says when she's responding to Olga, who's freaking out about Patricia's, uh, absence. And so Patricia, who's the character that we we are first introduced to, that kind of gives us a sort of out of context um, overview, an overture, if you will, of the whole situation. Um, after she goes missing, Olga is blaming the uh, the the matrons of the academy, and Tilda Swinton comes back and says, "Well, she's she became a terrorist." And, uh, but in the nicest way possible, where she's like, you know, she's, she's living her beliefs and can you blame her for that? And on one hand, you're like, that's a really manipulative way of, of saying that. But on the other hand, you know, I mean, it's setting bombs isn't great, but. It felt um, very like art is life, like live your passion wherever it leads. Yeah. Even to terrorism. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's, that's breaking bad, pretty, pretty poorly there but all art um, is dangerous morph yeah <laughs> all art um, is dangerous Olga. glad you brought up though before the predatory nature especially like the elder women uh towards these like young dancers who again as we're shown like just straight away it's like hi you now depend on us for your housing and food and every and payment and abilities yeah like, there's a there's a whole moment where Susie's character can't do the jump she can't do the double jumps <laughs> and it's this constant like back and forth between Madame Blanc and, and her. 
And she just looks to another dancer and takes her ability and gives it to Susie. And I feel like that, like using dance and, and like dance is a weapon in this movie, whereas it's nothing in the original. Yeah. I I think that's a very interesting way to to tackle it. It's one reason why in terms of how this movie handles queer themes, I, and maybe it's just because I finished watching this movie like an hour ago. (laughs) Um, so I've not had time to fully process. We're in the we are in the current active processing. What fun! Um, the most one of the most overtly uh, shows of queer of like queerness um, is also displayed in a very predatory way, uncomfortable way. Yeah, and I I know there's a lot to be done with the relationship between Madame Blanc and. Um, Susie, which I guess Dakota Johnson, I think you got better chemistry with Tilda Swinton than you got whoever the fuck is in Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, but that scene in particular where um, they're all out to dinner and you see them putting them into it, like the younger dancers into a trance, was definitely a very uncomfortable scene to watch. For the oh, way yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. Because the, the older women were also like stroking the faces of the younger women yeah, and just being really, really creepy. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's such a, I think it's such an interesting moment though for Susie's character because she, like, that's where it starts clicking for Madame Blanc that Susie is somebody, something else, because she's not affected by it really. Yeah. Like, the other she women. She moves are... herself out of it. Like, she exactly. moves to the end of the table. Yeah. Um, and that's where you, I feel like you really see Madame Blanc scared. Like, she seems scared at the table there, where she has that eye contact with... It, yeah, that this is, is sort of, like, double thing between her and Madame Blanc of, like, Madame Blanc seems to actually value her and her ability and skill as her and not want to, you know, basically stick uh, stick uh, the other, you know, uh, mother back in her. Um, but Marcos. also... Yeah, Marcos. She is also clearly, like, afraid of her she clearly knows that and says several times that like something is off we should wait um mm-hmm. like there's just some something i'm not getting about this uh which turns out to be that uh you know that Susie is uh this uh mother suspiriorum which i i think is really is interesting Somehow. i mean it yeah. made for a very cool it may i don't know how it works but it sure did make for an interesting uh final act well, yeah, the, I think it's the the difference between like a spirit, an important, you know, uh, thing being reborn in a new generation as compared to trying to kill the new generation to keep yourself, you know, alive is, you know, she's she's a, a person who was, you know, reborn as this, you know, mother who uh, I, I think it's it's never said explicitly in the movie but i think as if you go back and look at the movie throughout there's all these things of her seeming a little off of her mother being afraid of her and thinking she's evil all the way you know back through her life that like oh she's always been this but maybe you know until this point she didn't know you know at some point in this she has figured out who she is and uh you know she actually i mean she wakes up at one point screaming i know who i am um and like you know she she is you know reborn in this body in this new person uh rather than you know what uh what marcos wants to do which is hollowing her out and sticking herself inside yeah yeah well like hereditary 
like it's a similar situation with the with the little girl and hereditary she doesn't know yeah what what she is what she has been born into and I feel like that's the same situation with Susie is like she when we meet her and as she goes through the majority of the movie she doesn't know anything I don't think I didn't interpret it I think she has that realization partway through possibly at the dinner table scene where she realizes like she removes herself from that situation and realizes she's not affected by what's happening because you can tell she she knows something's happening but it's not affecting her I feel like it 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 starts earlier than that because the first uh and again I'm with you with her like we're not sure whether she knows herself at the beginning Mm -hmm. um because another thing is like it's it's really weird thing to have like you know this this reveal and then have none of the stuff as her origin matter you know like if she's actually the mother susperia or mother susperiorum you know did all the mennonite stuff what was that about you know does her character arc matter now that she's some kind of goddess or some kind of sorceress but i think yeah she sort of realizes this herself um and again we're not we're not 100 sure but uh, the first moment things seem off with her is actually pretty early when she's watching the um the other matrons mess with the detectives that's true um, and they're like prodding i want to talk about the scene messing with the detectives yeah the the actor where they're like kind of playing with his penis with the hook Uh uh-huh and they're making fun of his tiny penis was that part of the casting call what did they specify must have tiny penis? I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, those guys were like <laughs> the most German of detectives of like this most eighties German actors that I could like think of in terms of just kind of like normal, you know, not like. It, I guess it could have been a prosthetic penis or. Are we assume which I guess they had made, or was it a body double at that point when we got my Tilda guess Swain that, old man full frontal? My guess would be that they did a casting call and requested that you had to do a nude shot, and then they just dismissed you if you didn't fit the bill and didn't didn't draw attention to it. Maybe that would be my guess, but I don't that'd know. Be the be- that'd be the better way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Talk about it. <laughs> Next. <laughs> <laughs> Like, uh, I will say they only did it to one of those those guys. Like the two guys left that entered that building. Two guys left that building. We only saw one get his dangling played with by a hook. Willem Dafoe, you're a bad fit for this part. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been distractingly large. Oh my god! No, no, it wasn't distractingly large. I think it was confoundingly large. Is the word? I mean, I was, I, I wasn't anyway, going to talk really about. Really excited for Spider-Man: <laughs> No Way Home, <laughs> where he plays the character. He plays Green Goblin, but as the character that he was in Antichrist. Anyway, um, speaking of trilogies, okay, so um, this movie is go- like not only is it gorgeous with all the dancing and the fashion, but the the dance academy is like so delightfully Bauhaus, um, and it's oh it's just watch this if, if you're not interested in horror just you know when the body horror starts happening just skip and just watch the scenes for the architecture and the costumes because it's so good it's they give so a lot of attention different. to it like you can tell they care about it yeah <laughs> Are you yeah i was just gonna say it's so very different than like 
the the look of the original um you know they're they're both beautiful the original is uh i would say scarlet is maybe the like most common color in that movie <laughs> yes. it is like it was like not just red it's like real fucking red um, the movie anyway. will burn your eyeballs a little bit if you have it like on bright but however brett was t- turned to me while we were watching it and he's like isn't this based on that that red movie <laughs> um and, and he's like where's all the red and folks don't worry the red shows up boy howdy <laughs> yeah i think maybe the, the creepiest bit in this for me is is when they i mean the scene where olga is is being tortured is is rough but like the scene immediately preceding that where like she's coming down the stairs and the woman just like whispers to her and she starts crying and like she can't stop and she can't see where she is going and um it's just like it's one of the few actual like exhibitions of of what kind of power these you know witches wield in this story yeah and it's a psychological manipulation as well you know people are getting memories removed and being disoriented and all this kind of stuff which is um the olga scene is body horror to absolute extreme yeah like holy shit no i'm gonna say that actress deserves uh deserves like an award because apparently there's very little in the way of special effects in that scene it is mostly just her doing she's a contortionist what Um, that's wild i I did not know that there is one i did see one behind the scenes thing I think it's like all of the movement is like her, but there is, I think one, maybe when it's, it's towards the end, once they finish that whole scene, I think they did use a prosthetic for one of her legs just yeah, the because one that was like, of the angle. Yeah. yeah. But like so much of that is just her. That's wild. Cause it looks yeah. like, cause I remember just watching that scene, just bang, like just let her die for the love of God. This is like, Again, I do a fucking weekly horror movie podcast, and this is one of the cruelest, most fucked up deaths I've ever seen. And it wasn't even a death, uh, yeah. which made it way more fucked up. Yeah, and it, okay, so this movie not not um, not just long, but the reason that it's long is that some of these scenes they really just go full throttle. This is like a seven to ten minute scene where um, Susie is dancing. And she's like, whatever she's doing as she's dancing is affecting Olga. And I don't think Susie really is aware of this because she's also like kind of sickened by it. Um, But Tilda Swinton does some sort of magic pressure pressure point on her. And then she dances. And then Olga is like trapped in this mirror room, which is where Susie did her first rehearsal or her first um, audition, I should say. And uh, Olga is being contorted and thrown around by by powers that we can't really see, and so uh, and she's turning blue of, and she's convulsing. That they dance Volk, it, it seems to be a, a fight in the dance, and like Olga is actually being affected as if she is being uh, <laughs> fucked up and struck and everything in the in this dance the way that they are you know dancing as it it should be. Yeah. And this is not ballet. This is like modern postmodern dance. interpretive. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of like postmodern uh, influenced by German expressionism stuff, um, which is very apropos in, in this movie, um, especially with the uh, uh, the kind of Dada posters and everything. Um, so well, I think that scene too, like 
is a good because it's one of the earlier scenes, but so much throughout that movie, I think you've got simultaneous things happening and they're cutting back and forth between the two. And yeah. it's intentional because you're one, you're not 100% sure where they're trying to direct your attention. Like, I think the whole point of the movie, like Ben, you've said that you had a hard time, like you weren't sure you were interpreting everything correctly, or maybe you weren't, you weren't 100% on the path. And I don't think there is one. I think that's kind of the point is that you feel as disoriented as those dancers do as they're going, as you're going through this movie, because, you know, you've got uh, Susie doing this interpretive dance. That's, you know, for all intents and purposes, beautiful. Meanwhile, down below a horrific scene is happening in a similar fashion though. It's still this like dance essentially. And that happens periodically throughout the movie of some one thing is happening that's maybe beautiful or quiet and something else is happening simultaneously. That's either horrific or, or more action oriented or more nefarious. And I think that's a really nice, uh, keep, it keeps you from being able to find the path. It keeps you from being able to feel like you know what's what you should be paying attention to and where they're trying to lead you. I mean, for me, it's a bit, I mean, I, I kind of wish that there was a, a little bit clearer, like they do have the act segments, but I, I wish that there was something a little bit clearer with that because I mean, it's cool that it, that it, I, the disorientation is part of the horror and it's part of also the symmetry of the movie being along with this, this uh, um, flight 181 hostage situation, because as the movie climaxes, the hostage situation is resolved. So um and you hear this going on in the background. You also see things that don't really match up with the like uh, most of the like exposition from the house mothers, like as their coven occurs over them just living. You know, they're not. It doesn't show them in in their diabolical antechamber of of voting who's the best house mother or whatever. Like you hear it, but you just see them having like red German breakfast. I liked that a lot because that mm -hmm. definitely emphasized. Um, you know, the backstory that we clearly get that these people had to grit and come together and survive. Like these are people, German society at, of their era did not want surviving, never mind thriving. And they had to come together and successfully created something of and create like art and beauty. Um, and it definitely emphasized that. And, you know, every villain is the hero of their own story how easy it is for them to keep thinking that they're scrappy survivors entitled to do whatever they have to, to hang on when they are now the ones preying on the less powerful. And the more I talk to you guys about this, the more everything starts to kind of come together too, with the message. Um, again, you know, there's, it's, it is difficult because of the things kind of meander and you're just kind of ca just catching up with everything. But um they're like with Dr. Klemperer, we have so much going on with Dr. Klemperer. We have a, you know, a 10 minute long death scene with Olga. And then we have a 10 minute scene of Dr. Klemperer, like walking all the way across Germany. So we can catch up with his character and find out about his wife and about his memories and stuff like that. Um, this movie let's, is let's talk a little bit two hours and 32 minutes long. Yes. Cannot stress that. This is definitely the longest movie we have got done for this podcast. Yeah. Is this it? is a this is yeah. a yeah. I mean it's this not, is, Hannibal was three episodes, but that doesn't Oh yeah, Hannibal was three episodes. How long was Get Out? Get Out was get nope, out Get Out was only an hour forty-four. Yeah. Um yeah, no, this is long. But again, the slow like the pacing of it is all in service of this tone. 
and this feeling like it's as crazy as it is like this isn't a movie made in any way like just throwing things at a wall like this movie is definitely going for a feeling and achieving that feeling oh yeah vibes for sure it's it's interesting to me that i mean clever as we said is is played by a woman in this um and is the only really significant male character like they're the the police who don't really matter um, yeah as in every horror movie uh so far um you know but he is the only the only significant male character and his his tragedy his role is tied very much to like not having saved his wife when he could have not listening to her about you know the slow decline of you know pre-world war ii germany um and you know her needing to leave um and you know which ultimately leads to her disappearance and we'll learn later her death he doesn't know he hasn't known for you know i guess 20 years at this point what's happened to her um and you know we we get to follow him throughout but his sort of role in this story is that you know he is in the first scene he is the last person to see patricia before patricia disappears um and he is i think interestingly haunted by that that same problem right like he you know he had a chance to save his wife and he didn't and uh you know he wrote what you know patricia was saying off as uh you know mental issues that there's something wrong with her uh and then she disappeared and so like he is driven to try and figure out what happened to her and to warn you know sarah who was her friend and roommate and to uh you know try and to, to try and figure out how to save somebody in this movie because yeah. you know he's, he's just trying to save somebody um first it's patricia then sarah uh you know throughout the whole thing i feel like in clemper's defense if you don't have a first-hand account of what's been going on at this dance school and patricia just shows up at your office there's a healthy middle ground between i'm going to be completely dismissive of this and yeah absolutely the old lady dancers are total witch coven for sure no doubt no doubt no no doubt well that she when she shows up she's in the middle of a psychotic break and she's she is um all over the place she has her stuff she has like all of her stuff with her and um she's basically running away with all of her worldly possessions. And then she, she shows up to Dr. Klemperer and tells him kind of a very context free disjointed report of what she's experienced. And then she runs out. Um, And then, but with all the stuff that she's left, he is, he finds her diary and goes through it. And that's when he starts thinking, okay, well I'll, I'll um, uh, report her missing. And the more he reads through, um, the more he's concerned. And then uh, he also, I mean, there's also some suggestions that he's a little bit more into the esoteric um, side of uh, psychology because of A, the things that he says about um, the group think and um, the, uh, the spirituality being a method of getting a lot of people to do something, like he compares it directly to the Reich. Um, so whether it's real or not, you know, he's, he still thinks that these people are dangerous, which I think is, is a very valid interpretation and very good, inter- like nice little clear note in the movie about those themes 
Um, and he also has like a couple of Carl Jung books and stuff. So he's definitely, you know, he's, 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 if not like literally witches, he's definitely uh, concerned by this, by groupthink in here, in this situation. Cause that's what, um, I mean, what, Patricia describes initially as very culty where they, they took my hair and they took my urine and they had to check on me and they're always watching. Um, and, you know, to someone like a Dr. Klemper, uh, that's nothing new to him because he, he survived the Reich. So, you know, um, definitely red flags abound. Yeah. I am, I'm super interested in his uh, sort of assertion of, you know, religion and, and cult spirituality as being dangerous, even if they're not right, like specifically if they're not right, because you know you, yeah. you control people, you get them to do what you want based on a, you know, uh, a thing that you never have to deliver in this life. Yeah, um, and it's interesting too because it's not the the way that the um, the school is depicted is very ambiguous. Other than I mean, it was very ominous, certainly, um, and also very uh metaphysical but other than the women being just generally creepy um there's we don't get to see a lot of these um obvious moments you know they're very subtextual um but these all the things that patricia describes are generally the things that 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 we see happen to susie like you know she gets her urine she gets her hair cut um under the uh the guise of just having it be ready you know prepared for a performance she gets her urine collected because she gets sick it does speak to how insidious these things can be and there's so much chaos at, in terms of like the 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 visuals in the movie that it's hard to kind of connect things with um a specific meaning until you get them into context i think collecting all of the stuff is also supposed to represent the evils of facebook yeah. Maybe I'm just connecting everything to the evils of Facebook <laughs> these days. Well, yeah, we know Amazon's not in support of that. <laughs> Amazon Prime original. Um, yeah, I mean, I technically... sometimes wonder how many of these companies realize that they're producing things that are at some level of condemnation of their business practice. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Fox has been doing it since time immemorial. As long as there was a Simpsons uh, on Fox. Yeah. Something, something controlled opposition. Right. Um, I guess. I don't know. Put on tinfoil hat. Which is people ask me, I'm like, what can we get away with? I mean, Let's that's poke a, business daddy in the eye. This is, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very small poke. And I think that that's the, uh, that's the conceit there. Um, and this is also relevant to the, uh, the organization of the Academy. Because um, when Olga... Um, starts freaking out and calls them all witches mother tanner is like she just she like laughs out loud even though olga's having like a definitely bad time Mm -hmm. um i i was wondering and maybe it's just because i guess not because everyone because at first i thought it was kind of strange how no one bore any jealousy towards Susie for so instantly becoming the lead and uh madame blanc's favorite but then i guess i remember the part where like all of them had the chance to volunteer to be the protagonist before her. And they all said, nope. Yeah, there is a, there's a very, I think it's very cool that the um, like petty competition, like think of something like Black Swan, where you have all this 
this that was the whole plot of black swan yeah, the whole plot of, plot of black swan was like petty competition and then you know and that that giving rise to a toxin toxic environment for the dancers and in this case the dancers are just pretty individual honestly like first of all you do have black dancers in germany in 1977 and it's not that you know the um racial variety in in berlin especially uh west berlin is not that weird um but the i i was happy that they were included um and each of also there's no uniform each of these dancers has their own impeccable fashion and i mean impeccable um the only time that they wear anything similar is when they're performing when they do the volk performance yeah, they get matching crazy awesome red rope outfits yeah which th- that is something i would love to talk about because the imagery of that was so inspired um because it's me. Yes. This fucking should have been Night, Nightcrawler's Hellfire Gala outfit. <laughs> I, I, I think it's so interesting Strokes. looking at that, that, um, you know, this is a movie, especially as a horror movie, that could be very uh, male gazy. You know, mm-hmm. there's lots of uh, attractive 20 something dancers. There's, you know, these costumes, especially in this Volk performance, that, like, if it were shot, a different way could feel very different and very like uh you know it, it, i think when you see those costumes for the first time especially in a lot of the like ad material you're like oh it's really like sexy costumes like uh they're they're just wearing ropes um yeah but, like the way it's done in the movie it's like it's not a thing like you're not sitting there going uh, you know, looking at the the titillation of this thing and, and concerned about that aspect of it is like there's it's everything around that scene around their movements feels like so primal and aggressive. And then like the way that it's shot is, you know, dedicated to, you know, the dance and the art and the creepiness and not like fan servicing. The scene, yeah. what I thought did a good job setting the stage for that scene to be less sexualized and more uh, primal is a great word for it, is you just see her doing her own face paint. And it is like, again, just taking a whole paintbrush just across her face. It's that nighttime look. It's a bit slap bash. Um, <laughs> like that is like, not. It's like, white, like white band. I mean, it's so it's like this is not so makeup. Wow. This is water paint. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the first scene of the dance of, uh, um, of Susie's dance really kind of sets the tone for the dancing. Cause she dances the, the movement from one of Madame Blanc's uh, productions and without, without music. So we just hear this banging and we, we don't really see the body so much as the impact that the body makes. Um and, and, and that's a great point, Jeremy, because it's, you know, this is a movie about women who dance and it is really not male gazy at all, especially with the dances. There are, there are certainly like sexual elements of the film, but they're very queer um, or just like general. Yeah, I mean, because I think it's of particular note not to harp on Dakota Johnson, but like that she was coming out of a movie that is is particularly like 
you know, the, the Fifty Shades movies were pitched very much on the like edgy for a mainstream market sexiness of them um, and sexualization of them. And like, you know, she's she's not treated that way at all in this. She is clearly like, uh, you know, she's she did two years of, of ballet rehearsal to do this, of, of training. Um, you know, it's clear that like everybody is, uh, you know, at their the top of their physical game. There are a lot of, you know, people who are attractive in this movie who they very easily could make it a sexual thing. And that's not what they do. It's all done in service of the movie. Well, one thing that definitely surprised me watching the movie, and I suppose it becomes obvious and easily explains once uh, you get to the end and the twist involving Susie. But what surprised me watching it and was definitely a surprise, especially in how the relationship between her and Blanc developed was how much agency and ownership Susie had over her sexuality and to the degree to which as much as Blanc was leading Susie down a path, she was also kind of failing to manipulate Susie and instead falling for Susie herself. Like, honestly, again, you put Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton in a period piece lesbian romance movie. I'm going to be there. Yeah. Like, they, had, they got chemistry. They do have chemistry. And it's interesting too, because you, when, when we get a scene of the Mennonite mother talking about how uh, Susie is her sin and we see these scenes of her, of Susie being punished for masturbating or um, punished for not studying the U S but looking at Germany instead. Well, yeah. (laughs) Which is interesting, but uh... until they mention Mennonites, my brain just completely honestly forgot how time worked. And I knew it's in 1977, but I'm like, Oh yeah, no Susie's from like the sixth from like the 1700s. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, yeah, <laughs> she's, no, no. I see no conflict. That's just how this movie works. It's Immortal. like, she's from, yeah. she's, she's from the 1700s. And then she went to Germany where it's 1977. No worry. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. Well then I, but then I realized like, Oh yeah, there was a car. This priest arrived to her dying mother in a car that had like American flags on it. My brain didn't even put that together. It wasn't, it really was not until they said the word Mennonite that I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And I didn't get it until like time is a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Cause for a while there, do we have any idea what's going on with the rasping woman and who's rasping to Tom York? We don't know. We don't. She is clearly dying. She's dying. No dying. And she's rasping and her so she's, rasping. She's breathing well, it, real hard. You know, it's the spiriorium, which is size. So yeah. that's the breathing is supposed to be this, you know, sort of umbrella that is a, over the whole film of, of breathing. And you oh, know, yeah. breath is so important in dance too. So yeah, oh, the, the breath, the I breath is put that all together. And I love that. <laughs> Yeah, like again, I, there's I so much about this movie I know I did not put together. Well, I appreciate you guys talking to me about this, just having seen it because I watched it when it came out. So I've had like two years to like oh, nice. sit with this. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I I understand like if you've just seen it, it takes some time to like noodle it around and and think about it. And then me getting to watch it again just means I had a little bit more time to to process other stuff I saw the first time. So. I mean, this is the kind of media that I live for, which is the kind that kind of gives more, the more you watch it and the more you think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it's nice to have those, those dots connected a little bit more, but, um, 
especially when you're when you're talking about things as like intense as uh um the cold war and germany recovering from fascism and you know queer romance or i should say queer tension because there's not really any romance in this movie as much tension and creepiness as there's in this movie and it's near the very end um but there's one moment of physical comedy that just got me so hard and it's when they discover that madame blanc is still alive and they pull the neck up and it's like oh alive and then just let the neck drop back yeah, yeah, down yeah. again. That's slapstick. Yeah, that slapstick bit where um, we're we're talking about the very like the end of the film, um, the final I, act with the ritual. And this is, this is an important uh, place to say <laughs> phrasing uh, again. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that bit of physical comedy got you so hard. Is uh, <laughs> a little uh, yeah yeah it's. I, it's so interesting because I was like, surely, surely they haven't killed off Tilda Swinton. And then, uh, no, I guess she's still alive. She's just, yeah. I'm just like, you like, once you put that together, you'd like hold the head up and then just, nope, she's going to let that drop right back down. Well, in the, I was sad that they didn't resolve that, but I thought it was actually kind of funnier that they didn't because they were like, oh shit, she's still breathing. And then they let go and they're like, oh, fuck. I I laughed so, like, again, after all that, I laughed so hard at that. And and the other thing is that you have there's these in the epilogue you have these bits where all of the house mothers and the coven the ones that survive are like cleaning up the gore and they're like ah for fuck's sake yeah um, <laughs> scenes we always speculate about when we talk about horror movies <laughs> yeah um, because you know there is something to be said we do have a nice variety of women on this coven um, this coven council I guess. Um, and you have uh, some of them are very classic like what you think of when you think house frau you know like especially madame tanner who's just like mm, i don't know if you're supposed to be here but uh, i suppose i'll let you be here because um madame blanc likes you for some reason mm-hmm. and then um and then you have like a couple varying fashion queens there's dana carvey um there is that tall a statuesque woman the the black woman um who is uh criminally undershown because she's like uh, alec weck yes um because she like towers over the other women in the coven um and you know alas because she gets exploded with all the other coven members that voted for marcos Mm -hmm. um and that was a weird that's a weird thing too because you have this democracy question mark uh you know as much as it can be in a situation like that because you know i'm imagining that politics within the coven are very similar to academic politics which are very complicated it seemed real like academic politics where like it's over a group and a thing so small but where there's still so much control concentrated and everyone just goes crazy with tiny power lust yeah it's interesting too because i feel like you see sort of a like i think madame blanc is in between like helena marcos the the original woman that you know started this coven or is running this coven is this sort of she's been around forever she's losing her form like she needs another body to continue she is the old way and 
Madame Blanc is sort of in the middle. She's in that, like, she she isn't as quite as exploitative and quite as predatory as some of the other women in that in that coven are. Um, and then you've got Susie, who's sort of this like new, like she's the next step. She's the next generation of whatever this coven is going to be. Because I think, and this is me watching it the second time, I found Madame Blanc more sympathetic than I did the first time I watched it. Because it, that's not to say that she is, is not nefarious and manipulative, but mm -hmm. there is more conflict in her than I think most of the other witches, aside from Dana Carvey, who I yeah. think is the most conflicted. <laughs> um, yeah, who ends up just killing herself because she just can't stand it anymore. Exactly. Yeah, and I she's always not. away from everybody, yeah. Yeah. Blanc is, I, I found her sympathetic while watching the movie, even though like she's clearly a bad guy throughout um, because I, I think, you know, there is something of her that is a teacher that is doing the work that is developing this young talent and doesn't want to see you know these these girls destroyed like that she is um doing this the way it's meant to be done you know that she is mm -hmm. passing these things on to a new generation and it is just based on the fact that these other women are voting uh either in favor of control or uh in favor of their own fear to keep you know marcos in charge uh because she is shown to be very powerful and very mm -hmm. scary even as she is literally falling apart um where did you know, she get a baby hand on her elbow from all the other people she's absorbed yeah oh i didn't like it <laughs> i mean i liked it from a monster design standpoint but from an ah, i don't monster well, yeah the well, monster design in this is amazing <laughs> yeah now it's interesting too because when um madame blanc asks Susie, what do you what part of this company do you want to be do you want to be the head do you want to be the spine you know and she says i want to be the hands and then we see uh madame marcos and she's just covered with like weird hands and fingers um and you know i I wanted, I don't know if it was intentional, but I wanted that to be connected because, you know, as they were sort of growing together, because there was an interesting pull between the two of them. Because um, once we see Marcos under the floor, that's when we see Susie like just be really obsessed with the floor. And she does like a bunch of really sexy stuff on the floor. And, and she also, Susie also describes her sexuality really interestingly because <laughs> yeah it's carnal yeah because she's like you know it, I, I feel like it is what it might feel like to fuck when she's describing how she feels when she's dancing and Madame Blanc says to fuck a man and she says well I was thinking more like animals and that's as far as we get which is probably like note to leave on. yeah <laughs> yeah 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 because I'm like I don't think they're talking about bestiality but I mean who I knows think this that's movie? when Madame Blanc really started following for Susie <laughs> Um, that's also something that I think is interesting with Madame Blanc too is like I think it's very clear that she loves Susie oh yeah no, to me it very much read as she started out trying to manipulate Susie and then legitimately fell in love with Susie but also struggled with a sense of I don't know if I want to say motherhood but there is like a there's a daughter mother element to their relationship and it's maybe yeah. it's more teacher student but there's is like a care there beyond that I think is set aside from the fact that she actually loves this woman. 
if you so ever played Metal Gear Solid 3, it's kind of like the boss and Naked Snake, but <laughs> queer. I love Metal Gear Solid 3. <laughs> Isn't, I thought boss it's and mentor, Naked Snake. It's student, but also lover and also kind of parent-child and also <laughs> ghosts. I mean, that's all applicable to this as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the family... The, Kojima's Suspiria. Call, I mean, it's a, it's a matter of time. I'd play it. Blanc, yeah. Blanc does act very motherly to the other dancers as well. You know, yeah, like she, lots of moments where she comes into comfort, even if it's manipulative. Like, none of the other witches do that. Yeah, okay. she is definitely the most... I mean, she, we, she is presented as the most um, sympathetic in terms of towards her students. You know, she's, she's hard. She goes hard when necessary, but um, she she's does definitely not. Well, I was going to say Frau she's Tanner. abusive. I say knowing, you know, what happened to Olga, but at least her, her most outward facing persona is not that of an tough to the point of abusive dance coach. Yeah. And she's, I mean, and she's consistently questioning I I, the decision. I think I phrased that one correctly. Yeah. You got that. Yeah. Um, the, the, she is consistently questioning the, the decision to sacrifice dancers. Um, and even that bit where she has that exchange with Caroline before Caroline's dancing ability was taken there, you know, it was, it, there was a little bit of a, an exchange there. It wasn't completely like, you know, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't consensual, but um, Caroline was, was like, ending exchanged. <laughs> yeah. And Caroline's like, oh, this is happening. Ah, shit. Yeah. Is um, Caroline the one at the end who's in the, like the secret witch cellar and doesn't have feet? No, Caroline no. is okay. the, she's the one who can do the double jumps. Like she, yes. she had, Madame Blanc has her come out and, and um, demonstrate. Right, but there's one character who came out and didn't have feet. And I thought like, oh, is that supposed to symbolize that Madame Blanc took your jumping and now you literally don't have feet? I, I don't think, think so. She's in okay. the dance. Oh, yeah. okay. Then never mind. Then that's just some that other person not- without feet. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, that, think, that's just another tale for another time. I think yeah, the, first, the three in the center are Olga, Patricia, and Sarah, right? Yes. yes. The ones that she but, grants death to at the end. Yeah. But that is representative of, like, they are taking these, they're brutalizing these girls for their abilities or their or their youth or whatever. So it is it is possible that that girl had her feet taken, that that girl had... Some ability taken from her, and that's representative of those such of her a JoJo powers to take an attribute of one person, give it to another. I take your jumping, and I give that person your jumping. <laughs> um, I take your math. Guy. Now they have your math. Uh, I mean, yeah, and and also like a little bit of X Men as well there. Um, but I, that said, I mean that the mutant we, name would be Stat Change <laughs> or Debuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to be the character named Debuff. <laughs> Unless it means comfortable. We'll workshop it some more. <laughs> um, would that be like the dude? Like he just debuffs you by making you so relaxed that like you don't give a shit? I'd chill out at that dude's cafe on Krakoa. Yeah, but like the like like the big Lebowski, like the dude. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know about the cafe. I don't know. I just figured you'd have a nice chill ass cafe. 
Oh yeah, a bowling mean, alley. Yeah, bowling alley. I hope so. I hope the dude is okay somewhere. Like I hope you know because he lost at uh, Donnie. Anyway, this is a different movie. Um, the 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 woman with the missing feet. They showed the sculpture of the feet in the uh, the the underground, like in the archives, or not the archives, the underground, like spooky place. Um, so I think that there's a connection there. Okay. Yeah, the mausoleum where they have the. Like- saying, I'm, I'm guessing it was just like. I, I, you know, I don't fucking know. This this movie's <laughs> weird, and it's got a lot going on, and I'm not gonna understand it all. Um, I can't connect all these dots. There's too many dots. There's a lot yeah. of. Do- I think that's yeah. How am I supposed to hold all these dots? You know um, what? What I think is interesting for me is something that I was kind of down to the wire on is the handling of, um, you know, the the doctor's story with his wife and how that's resolved because you know he is um he is basically brought in by the witches and and taunted and and treated as if the um his you know failure to listen to his wife is uh, a sin you know for which he is um horribly guilty that you know they can make him go through all of this stuff and he is left you know a, a shell shaking in his own bed um before they also you know, we, we blame- get him for like not listening or helping Patricia and I'm like what is this old man supposed to do against the coven of witches well I think that was part of their manipulation of him and how they managed to I mean they it's it's a it's a very like interesting like classic witch image of these older women coming out and screaming um it's a very like yeah, which, which mother is it that comes running out of the house to like get him there is it vertigast or whatever reaching out of there i think it's Vin- vindigast vindigast vertigast yeah she she does an excellent job at that point and i do want to mention his wife is played by the original Susie from the original suspiria mm-hmm. oh just, that's familiar. really cool yeah Oh That's my god! Cool. Yeah, I was just gonna try and, and sneak that in, so I'm glad you said it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I would. I didn't even catch that, but I was like, she looks so familiar. Yeah, but for, I, I was, I was heartbroken for him because he's given the scene where his wife returns and he gets this whole triumphant story about how she made it out to Brighton and has been, you know, living uh, her own life, uh, you know, thinking he was dead, and he, she's finally found her way back to him. And this is all just a cover to get him to come to the the house to witness this horrible thing that's about to happen. And he is he is left further tormented and shaking and everything. And then we get this epilogue scene with Susie visiting him, which um I don't know, was oh. was an incredibly cathartic scene to me. I don't know that it's a very I, I have a comment about scene. It's a very beautiful scene. It's very emotional. It's very moving. It's very well acted. But also, it's entirely just for us, the audience, because she then immediately erases his memory of it. Yeah. Like, like that's, that's just for us. The, so we, the audience, can have closure. Well, I mean, I guess she gives him closure, but then she's like, and now I'm going to take away. Well, the weird thing is she says, I'm going to remove every, uh, all the memories of every woman who. Well, was- didn't she specifically list his wife like Anka, Patricia, Sarah. Yeah, but he said she said she 
described them. And then as every, every woman that's undone him, which I yes. guess implies to mean also his loyal secretary who has stood by him for many for many years. Has, has somehow undone him because he yeah. forgot <laughs> like fucking everything about her. Or did he? I feel like I'm a hopeless romantic about things to where I'm like, she can erase his memory, but can she erase that feeling? Yeah. So I like maybe, I, sorry, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I definitely like that. Yeah. I just, just for the sense of being like, wait, uh, of wanting to point out any absurdity I can. Right. Being like, wait you a know, minute. She could have told him all of that, given him some sense of what happened and some sense of closure, not erased his memory, but he would still have that feeling of guilt he would still have that feeling of what he lost but if she erases it but gives him some sense some sense of closure then my thinking is that that he still has that sense of closure within himself that he can let go of whatever emotional baggage might hang on because that's assuming that memory wipe is like a clean slate and i tend to think that especially in in witchcraft and and horror and and this kind of messiness that it isn't that simple, that yeah. there's there's leftover detritus and emotional baggage that sticks around. It's well, a beautiful it's- scene and I'm not arguing the movie should have done anything differently. <laughs> um, I, just, they- I just found that was funny. It was like, I'm gonna reveal this deep truth and it's gone. Well, they just, they do focus the very very last shot on that um carving that he made the the anka and joseph yes heart that he made on that wall um so you know some we get this idea that at least some element of it some positive element of it has lasted um not what it was it wasn't what i was expecting this movie to to leave us on (laughs) because like you know, we see the, the aftermath of the dance. Um, and that's, you know, we're not sure if Madame Blanc is still alive. Well, they tell the remaining dancers like Madame, Madame Blanc is leaving. And then you think they're just be like, what about the eight other people that aren't here? It's like, what about them? <laughs> yeah. Who cares? Yeah. I don't know. Her. Also, <laughs> guess what? Madame Blanc's back. Ignore the scarf. <laughs> look what i can do um yeah i i I, I do want to say that is the last scene of the movie there is also a post-credit scene um which is bizarre for this particular movie but um it's literally just Susie uh doing something that we don't clearly see because she's facing us and then like barreling the camera and then it's over it um, looks like she's in the archives, so I was expecting it to switch back to that that painting. Well, I feel like we hair. need to talk. About, I, oh, sorry, I, sorry. I oh. feel like we definitely need to talk about the scene where we get the twist that is Mother Suspiria, and then summons Death to explodes everyone's head like they're gushers. But no, not everyone. The people, Marcos's followers, who yeah. I guess are the way of taking over of the old being parasites on the young so i guess that again that all fits into mother suspiria and the natural way being rebirth and giving rise to truly new generations and also head explodies and release yeah like thighs like i always come back to that i feel like she's she releases sarah and she releases patricia and she releases olga in the end like there's a sense of like 
freedom that she grants and a sense of relief for for Klemper. It's a very uh, beautiful scene when she like lets the three of them die. It is, yeah, yeah. They they request it. You know, she asks them what they want, and and they re- request to die. And of course, they've already been eviscerated and had their like intestines taken out or whatever, and like folded and unfolded. So I. I the fact that they're still alive is is probably the most torturous sensation um but uh you know they're they're there and they're they while everyone else was dancing they had their like their organs taken out and displayed to uh um mother marcos for some reason but <laughs> it is know. i think sort of representational of like that is over like that yeah. isn't how Susie is going to do things that is an archaic way and and this whatever she brings forward now is going to be a new new mission or new path for the the coven yeah because the 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 photo that i was thinking that she was looking at was the the photo of um or no it it wasn't a photo it was painting framed in hair like lacquered hair which is i mean it's a thing um it's very like a victorian thing yeah um but uh it's it's mother marcos with madame blanc um who is much younger so we see that sort of that there was a um, mentor-mentee, at least, relationship between them, which is now, you know, now Madame Blanc has gone off to be her own artist. And I think that that's the whole thing with Madame Blanc is that she is an artist. And in that scene, that the turning point scene with the ritual and everything, um, Mother Marcos points that out. She's like, you know, this isn't about art. This is about how it has to be. Um and that's when she kills uh, or, or beheads and somehow not doesn't kill uh, Madame Blanc. Um, Witchcraft. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, if they don't have ways of, well, they, they managed to heal uh, Sarah's compound fracture after she found like Patricia and them in the weird web. I mean, call. just as from a standpoint of someone who loves psychic battles, that was a pretty satisfying, even though short, just like, psychic slash yeah yeah I as a connoisseur of bat of combat in the psychic realm <laughs> i, lo- I like it when combat. people use the brains to make the things go sl- wishy slash <laughs> yeah i think i think it definitely like it feels like it comes down to you know uh marcos wants like they they admit several times in the movie that they have not been strong enough as a coven to like bring Marcos back in some time yet they are continuing down this road of you know depleted power rather than you know bringing in younger uh younger talent stronger people like Susie and you know training them to be the next generation um yeah I think says says a lot about it and i think it's interesting to yeah compare the the image they have of themselves as these uh strong women who survived through you know all of all of world war ii all of nazi germany as this sort of independent female-run body um which is is definitely admirable as, as the movie treats it um but then have in their own right become the you know oppressors and parasites to these these younger people um you know and and susie alleviates that issue at the end Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I guess on that front, uh, do we feel like this is a feminist movie? In a way, the it's I think it's I think it is definitely feminist in the fact that it is primarily uh, primarily involved in exploring the relationships of these women. From just um, a, oh, sorry. Th- go ahead. Uh, just from a production standpoint, there's something to be said for aside from the two cop characters who are super incidental, this is an entire woman cast. Yeah. And I don't know what, there's no scene in this movie that doesn't pass the Bechdel test. (laughs) Yeah. Even the scenes. Well, not, I mean, as a character, so, but I don't know what the Dr. Kemperer or Dr. Klemperer um, casting says other than cool flex Tilda Swinton. I mean, I mean, they've I, talked I about think, it in interviews that they that wanted it to be. <laughs> I think it's cool yeah, flex Tilda Swinton. That yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was such a, a female-centered story that they didn't want to have a, a you know a male character who had so much screen time, who you know was sort of the the center of a lot of it and was acting as a, you know a a savior in a lot of it. They didn't want to, I think, take that away from the uh, otherwise all-female cast of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it was mostly weird flex Tilda Swinton, but I got to say it did work. Yeah, I mean, like it works. It makes me like it did not like there is that certain. You know, I, I think he really he really works as a character, too, because like um, Emily was talking about his his accent being a little weird, but his voice is also just a little weird, which is like that he, was what he first speaks in such a off. way that you go. The makeup was like, great. I thought it was and... phenomenal makeup. Like it really was the voice that first tipped me off and made me go like, wait a second. That sounds a little, this sounds a little bit like Tilda Swinton doing an old man voice. <laughs> yeah. Cause I feel like her physicality was so good. Like oh, yeah. when she's walking down the steps and walking back to the house as Klimpler, like, yeah. Like oh, it's, yeah. it's definitely, I think the voice and it's very fleeting. You have these moments where it, just slips into Tilda and then it goes away. Yeah, <laughs> it's not bad voice acting by any right. means. It's just like, it's just that echo or that what have you that like not even the best voice actor can fully eliminate. Just that indecide, that indescribable just quality of someone's voice. Mm-hmm. Well, in the very first scene with him, I had no idea. I was, I was hundred percent sold. It took me a while. It took, it wasn't, I, I think it was like about like 45 minutes to an hour where like I heard enough that I was starting to go like, wait a second, this, I need to look this up. Is this, is this what I'm starting to think it is? Yeah. Well, I, I, I noticed the age makeup and I was thought, well, you know, that's, that's gotta be age makeup. Right. And so I kept trying to think like, was he played by a younger guy, but no, then the, there wasn't that time in between that much time in between when we first saw him and we saw him next. Cause there was very different lighting between the two times when we, we first saw him. Old man makeup Tilda Swinton from Suspiria to team up with old man makeup Guy Pierce from Prometheus. No, <laughs> just the weird old man makeup Avengers. It's a buddy buddy cop movie oh well that would be <laughs> oh we gotta get uh, johnny place. knoxville as bad grandpa in there too and then it takes place in the film prometheus that's the only way i will accept no, 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 no. it um, one day we'll do prometheus and it will be a fucking shit show <laughs> yeah i will I, be drinking for the prometheus episode i'll tell you that 
<laughs> I just it, the Prometheus like would be watchable, like a lot more watchable if it it was the movie with Fossbender on Fossbender, and it wasn't like the the lead up to Fossbender on Fossbender, because like that's the only thing about those movies other than like have you guys heard of any sort of health guidelines ever that I remember about? <laughs> I really want to see, I really want to see Fassbender on Fassbender, the interview. Um, <laughs> Michael Fassbender interviewing Michael Fassbender about his life and career. But they're on a date <laughs> and then they kiss at the end of the date. So do we come down on this being feminist or? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that is what we were talking about that conversation himself. where did that conversation wow that someone one, map out all the point all the stops that fucking conversation took. jeremy can you edit in uh points in this episode where Holy it's just shit. like random ass shit we say like the movie and it's like a dream sequence um recreate suspiria as this interview <laughs> Epilogue. Is this movie feminist? Taking um, better. I'll give it, I mean, I mean, it's dealing with issues. I mean, it's definitely an unflinching look. And I don't know, I'm probably, I guess I'd say yes. Yeah. I mean, it's I, I not think... like a traditionally empowering right. uh, movie, like movie, but it is definitely a look at women and power and how it is taken or created and responsibility to community yeah yeah i think it's um it's definitely like the the messaging and the story and everything don't have as much to do with feminism as the way that the film is depicted how the characters are depicted i think the film itself and its craft um and it's uh and its storytelling is feminist um i i think that the message therein has not a lot even though it it can easily be i mean the fact that they're all women is is feminist but i don't think that the um the messaging in the movie is about feminism because it's i think that the most feminist messaging uh, is just the fact that this place exists and that is that is a result of feminism which is kind of a mixed message (laughs) when you think about it but um, I don't think it I don't think it goes quite that far. I don't think it's it's saying anything that that much about like the ideas that brought this this academy together so much as like it's it was more about the coven than like any sort of political ideas. 100 yeah. percent. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that's yeah. better than I could have, but I think that that hits it right on the head. Thank yeah, you. I think uh, yeah, I think you nailed it. Yeah, I, I think in the crafting, the crafting of the movie is feminist, even if the story isn't necessarily which i mean i i think is kind of what we look for from a lot of horror movies that uh don't pass that test and for something that is written and directed by uh two dudes based on i would not call the original suspiria feminist in in any stretch um no. you know it is it's definitely not feminism is not on their radar in that movie um yeah uh, I, think, I think it does a good job i think if anything it displays like kind of what a lack of feminism brings is this like they're taking advantage of each other. You know, they're, they're weaponizing each other. They're preying on one another for power. Like it's, if anything, it's kind of expressing a lack of feminism amongst the coven. And I don't think any of those witches, especially, you know, the, the madams would 
call themselves feminine. I mean, they, they might for the sake of manipulation for the younger women, but I don't think they think of themselves as feminists necessarily, at least for what they want. I, mean, I don't think that their intentions are feminist by any means. Yeah. I think that they're probably part of, I mean, in, in that time, it's really difficult to divide progressive art communities from political leanings. So there's that. Yeah. but they are sort of a microcosm that is an offshoot of a political and what <laughs> are they girl bosses is that what they are yes <laughs> these witches <laughs> they're they're yes, women they with power who do not support women, other women getting power they i mean i they think not, you... they are strong they are strong women who do not subscribe to the idea of feminism except as it applies to them i mean i think yeah. this is i mean yeah, I guess we're now just talking in circles, but is it feminist to do a movie exploring what a lack of feminism does to a community? Yeah, maybe unintentionally. I don't know. I don't know if that was their intention with the movie. Like you you said, Emily. I, Guys, I is, are there cool. any examples, actual examples of irony in Alanis Morissette's ironic? And if there aren't, is that the ultimate irony? <laughs> okay. I'm going to stare at the wall for about 10 minutes. Uh now, this and movie, I do feel like has some has something to say about class in the way that uh, you know the the girls are I mean basically adopted by this school you know they become helpless without the school uh, because you know they they are dependent on the school for their survival um, from a class standpoint. Yeah, there's they how do they describe it? There was a um, there was a particular title that they had for the kind of community that they that they have their which is to say that they are not charged rent, mm-hmm. but they are sort of on an honor system um, to comply to the, the rules. Um, but it is folded within this idealism of like, well, we believe that women should be have autonomy over their, their financial situation, you know? And I think that that is where we talk about um, instead of the lack of, fe- or, you know, like the girl boss brand of, of feminism there, because, you know, they're, they're being told that they're, they're being empowered when they're actually being preyed upon. Um, but uh, I think also that does, even though this is a very like minor detail about the Marcos Academy, they do provide people that just have nowhere else to go um and you know i think that's one of the reasons that their dancers are so eclectic and so so individualist is because they do take in you know they they do create codependency within their dancers like yeah I, the- I do think there's something to that of this uh being told you're being empowered when you're actually being uh you know chained to the school basically yeah um, you're having what independence you may have to struggle to keep uh stripped away from you in favor of uh being dependent I mean, on the I- school I was going to say it's like, but it literally is. Watch out for any business that says we're a family here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you see that with with Susie when she hears when she's talking with the I don't remember which madam it is um, about how they aren't going to be charged, like how relieved she is. Because it's a like she you can tell that when she gets to the train station that she's worried about her money and. So it's such a relief to her and she's so grateful. And I think that that's the other the flip side of it is like, we're a family, but we also know what we have over you. And I think Susie gets that from the beginning because she comes from this, you know, Mennonite family that as far as we know, doesn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and she struggled to get to Berlin and she wanted to since she was a child. And so it's this this relief and sense of gratitude that she has that they're going to let her stay, even though she is she doesn't have the funds to to really pay for her education. Yeah. And for her, it was definitely a long shot too. Like she came out there and they're like, who are you? What are you doing? You know? And then she's, and she's this, this kid from this Mennonite kid from Ohio, you know? So, Mm -hmm. which is interestingly, not something that the movie leans into too much (laughs) because I think they're, they just say, leave that as red being like, okay, so she overcame (laughs) this. Now this is a story about being there, but um, yeah. And I will say that, you know, we have women in this movie that are fully realized characters, you know, uh, which is also, I mean, it's definitely feminist in that regard. Um, And with the class. Yeah. I think that there's, there's a few different things going on too, because you have the um, red army faction, you have, the the split berlin you have um this sort of this commune which is also run by very like academic erudite people you know um but it's all within the um the berlin setting which you can't really uh have that especially with all the news that they're referring to without the the question of class um you know, it doesn't really say much about that other than it is a big concern for these characters. It is a backdrop of the movie. And, um, you know, especially compared to another movie we saw, Velvet Buzzsaw, it doesn't uh, really examine or explore the confluence of high art like their dance would be uh, with class. Yeah, Um Although their their dance is definitely celebrated, yeah. Not that I'm yeah. saying this movie needs to be adding more to it. It's got right? enough going on. <laughs> I'm not, again, it's not a criticism. I'm like this movie's got plenty. I'm not saying yeah, let's go for three hours. No, this ain't. <laughs> this isn't a Justice League movie. Let's not get crazy. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Thank goodness. Um, and Dr. Klemper also being a. a um, psychologist he has an office and then he also has this little house that he goes to which is is separate from his office where he also has a bed so i'm not sure how that works but it's it's interesting um well it also seems contrast. like they're on opposite sides of the wall that he seems to be able to cross between east and west oh yeah because he has to go easily. through the yeah he has to go through the gate um he's got his passport out and everything so that's yeah, that might explain that Yes, that's why he's crossing Which, all of Germany. And that's why, again, if there's themes to be had that he lives on uh, the on the western side, while I think the dance troupe is on the eastern side, I believe. So. Or maybe it's flipped, which is what I'm saying. I don't understand German culture or history from the 1970s well enough to fully know what they're exploring. I think that they're they got to be on the west side. If because... a girl from Ohio can just walk into the dance school, I'm guessing no, it's got to be the west, side, the west side. Well, and there's yeah. also the. I would also assume that there's probably because we see a little bit of it. There's a lot of baggage to his home, and so yeah. he probably keeps a bed in his at his office. Oh when no, I want to go home. Yep, checked Wikipedia. You're right. I'm I'm sorry, Skylight. Like, oh, no, 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 you're good. You're good. I checked Wikipedia, and yes, you are right. The dance school is on Western Berlin, and his house is in Eastern Berlin. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you, East you, Berlin. 
it would be logical for him to have a bed at his office because you know if he can't get through customs mm-hmm. to go to the other germany you know like also it's there's always weather yeah. um and i think kind of returning a little bit to the is this a feminist movie i think it's also important to note i'm a sucker for the bitchy thought trope of <laughs> this, <laughs> this vulnerable little person over here I can manipulate and and squeeze for all they're worth when actually they're a very very real threat even if they know it yet like I think that you see that a lot especially with final girls in horror yeah Um, it's you know it's really cathartic as the matrons realize just how completely fucked they are yeah yeah I was into that I was definitely into that um I think that the the journey, you know, I don't know if I wanted it to be clearer, but um, the fact that we're still wondering, like, has she always been Mother Susperiorum or did she become Mother Susperiorum as she uh, kind of was um, indoctrinated into the uh, into the coven? Yeah, you know, this this movie, I it makes me angry because it, it did two things pretty successfully that are things that I have always like wanted to do in a story, which is like dance and art and other sort of things as, you know, magic as witchcraft in their own right. Um, which, you know, definitely ties into something I'm already working on. Uh, but also like this idea of like, when we, we talk about final girls, they're always, they have tendency to be more religious, lower class, they're innocent, they're, um, you know, social outcast to some extent she's a fish out of water in this movie um you know and to to sort of hide the monster inside of that final girl is is something i've always wanted to see more of in movies and always wanted to do in a story and they do it pretty successfully and that like she is uh you know the final girl and the monster if if only there had been you know some case in which she was murdering people throughout the movie uh you know, unconsciously, um, that would have been sort of like my ideal as far as like turning that trope on its head goes. Yeah. So with our with our other questions, we have um, racial and social justice, and and as I, well, we, I've mentioned that there's a there's a member of the coven who is black, and then there's a dancer who is black. Neither of them are well, named. Without handling in it, like yeah. they don't have the largest roles, but they are there. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think the have, having diversity that would be in the world at the time is important. It would have been nice to have yeah. you know, those people in slightly larger roles, but the fact that they are there and they are in sort of middling sized roles, uh, when so very clearly, like as they were writing this, they had you know some of these people in mind. Like it wouldn't have been this movie without Tilda Swinton where she is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe this is kind of similar to the feminism um, where it's not an explicit theme of the movie, but the word kind of, you know, in I was going to say like behind the camera, but in front of the camera, because I'm talking about the casting. But um, yeah. it's like the uh, production work was put there to make was still being a just, a you know, again, having that represent having that diversity and representation uh in the cast and among the troupe even if it wasn't an explicit theme and i do think it's to the movie's credit and benefit yeah to yeah like you said reflect the diversity 
that would have existed in late 70s yeah you know west berlin for sure especially in the art scene yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. um i I think you you run into potentially problematic things by putting you know uh a black woman in the role of susie particularly Mm -hmm. um and i don't i think it would be a difficult play to put her in the role of madame blanc um, even you can't even really give her the role of Sarah because then you're creating another black girl character whose main role is white girl. Are you OK? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, if she's Patricia, she dies in the first or between the first and second scenes um, of the movie. Um, yeah, I will mention that the 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 black dancer is not i don't we don't see her tortured ever on screen which is nice although i don't remember seeing i mean there, there was at the the scene in the uh the dance scene in the ritual was very monochromatic it was very red yeah she's um, there yeah okay she is is one of the dancers up front that's uh doing a lot of bowing and scraping yeah, yeah. good they they do focus on her also briefly um in the the nights like as they sleep after the ritual there's a moment where they focus on her and you know you were watching the dancers like se- seemingly go through some sort of nightmare like they're yeah. like they they think what they experienced is a nightmare or Susie's planting this idea that it was a nightmare for them yeah. and so we focus on her a little bit there yeah. yeah and and speaking of nightmares what do we think about the the how this movie deals with mental illness and physical disability I mean, thin does it, like, it, it doesn't really do it in a meaningful way uh, because I think partially the existence of magic, um, which is what causes a lot of the uh, eventual physical disability in it or they are using to negate the physical disabilities of age. Um, and I think it's hard to talk about anything to do with mental health in this movie because you know the, the one scene we see where somebody is apparently having a, a mental health crisis. They are very much right to be paranoid. Yeah. Um, right. be, they are very much right to be having a psychotic break at that point because like, yes, they are trying to kill her. Yeah. Um, it is one of the more sympathetic psychotherapists that we have seen in horror movies of late. There is that. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I don't I don't think that's really saying a lot, uh, but especially considering our, our recent experiences with Clive Barker. Um, yeah, this, this psychotherapist is actually doing, doing good things for people um, and actually has some cool takes uh, yeah. and provides, and, and it is uh, Dr. Klemperer who introduces us to the idea of the three mothers. Um, he's certainly trying his best. Yeah. He's Even if def- he's not always on target, he's trying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's approaching the situation with an academic yet open mind which I think is very important because, you know, um, his whole bit about the spirituality in this situation and the spirituality of the Reich, I think is, is kind of a centerpiece in this movie that I, I don't want people to, to miss out on because of how, especially because of the, the involvement with the Mennonites and how you have this idea of um, control with ideals and idealism and uh, how spiritual symbols get, can get involved with that, whether they be literal iconography or um, uh, symbolic power, etc. Anyway, that's, I thought that was cool. The end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I think the treatment of 
the the one psychologist in this is better than most of what we see of psychologists in uh, in horror movies. We've seen a lot of manipulative psychologists uh, doing nefarious things. Um, I do want to take a chance to uh, open up the the question of what we think about the LGBTQIA plus themes in this movie. Anybody got something uh, yes. to about that? Oh boy, takes on takes on takes. There's yeah, there's some layers to this. I will say that there is a queerness, um, despite is how it some queer to have Tilda Swinton as an old man kiss a lady. I'm gonna default back to my whole production angle. I, I don't know if it's. I don't think it's queer representation. No. Um. <laughs> no, that it's definitely not representation. Well, I mean, there is a lot of, to this movie that is queer. Like there is. I mean, there's nothing explicit that we just not like we get anything. It's not like we're Jennifer's body taking in subtext into text, but there is uh, a so much to Madame Blanc and Susie's relationship, even if well, there's always a power imbalance, but it sure does shift where the power imbalance seems to be. Um, I mean, um, Susie has a line that stuck with me, says like, you you don't want me to choose because you love me. Like yeah. seems to be a moment where Susie seems aware of what's happening to a very strong degree. And I mean, we talked about how that is a very intense and charged relationship. Um, but also again, there's, it's a relationship based on the inherent power dynamic of a coach and a dancer, which is bad. Don't do it. Yes. Unless it's Natalie Portman and her husband ballet coach where it was just for a film role. And that's a whole different power dynamic. I'm not calling you out, (laughs) Natalie Portman, who obviously listens to this podcast. We love you, Natalie Portman. Um, (laughs) And then there's probably also the and then, you know, there's the scene we talked about uh, at the restaurant with the where they're putting the dancers and where the matrons are putting the dancers in a trance and also doing it in a very. you know what we said like stroking and their faces and touching their hair and just it's a scene that to me especially with those elements definitely seems to equate queerness with predatoriness in a way that I def- that very much uh sits uneasily for me yeah um there's there are uh takes like as you said there are takes all around because this movie is very very much occupied with feminine sexuality but um because there's a point where where mother superiorum like opens her literal chest like opens up the skin on her chest to show some kind of weird wormy vagina i think i couldn't see it very well i think that's the that's the goal that's the yeah it's it's, the visual they're aiming for yeah yeah they're they're visual they're aiming for is huh um (laughs) vaginal uh but yeah. yeah it's not it's it but it's it, the sexuality is is not presented in the um relationship so much as is in the as as it is in the art like it's all about the sexuality and the art um and uh the the relationships it's a lot more about intimacy um there's a scene where sarah and uh susie share a bed um and the whole you know the idea that the whole organization is family i think is a lot less 
about incest and more about the predatory nature of the the matrons but the sisterhood of the um the of sarah and susie i think is a lot more about intimacy and i think that that is a lot more of a a positive queer message if anything um i mean the the family aspect in terms of the nomenclature isn't great but like if you think about how the, the idea of these women being open with each other and supporting each other and not being concerned about um, their, uh, the, the, the gender dynamic, like, yeah, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, mean, no, I, I, I think there is definitely a, a found family aspect to it. Um, you know, there's certainly like a, a, a queerness that is pervasive throughout the movie, but is almost never explicit. Um, you know, it, it feels, it feels queer um, in the way, you know, we've talked about some movies just kind of having that, that feeling to them, but it's, it's very rarely something that you could put your finger on other than to say, hey, Tilda Swinton is in this movie. Um, oh, it, yeah. <laughs> just every, everything, everything about her and this character in particular has just sort of a, a vibe. Yeah. And, you know, that can be art scene as well as Tilda Swinton. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I think Sue, like you said, found family is, is definitely a theme there. And I think Susie's kind of sympathetic in that. And, and maybe she's representation of representative of that part of queerness in general. And that she is, she grew up an outsider within her family. She never really felt like she had anybody to, to rely on or anybody who really cared about her. And then she finds Sarah and then she finds Madame Blanc. And so they're, you know. It's not an ideal situation, but she is, you know, this fish out of water who maybe has never really known support or really, never really known somebody who cares about her. Yeah. Find I mean, this, this community. And there is certainly the scene of, of when she wakes up screaming and Sarah uh, comes and lays in bed with her. And she's like, I've never slept with anybody but my sister before. And Sarah's like, well, I'm your sister now. Um, yeah. The whole thing is very... <laughs> the nomenclature is a bit weird but yeah you know i mean it's, it's not straight i'll tell you that <laughs> no, i don't no know if it's queer but it's that. definitely not straight yeah for sure uh now i guess generally the the big question is do we recommend people check this movie out if you got three hours because you're gonna need an extra amount of time you will stare at the screen or at your phone for half an hour trying to work some stuff out after this movie that's if you sure. if you like yeah. thinking about stuff <laughs> if you like vibes and slow burn and thinking and body horror yes yeah, yeah. you're gonna feel yeah. kind of <laughs> lost for at least the first half hour probably first hour of the movie uh and i'm and, lost yeah. all the time so i'm fine being lost in a movie too <laughs> this is a real good horror movie to have while like on in the background while you're like you're drawing or building a lego set I'd say that if you want to to actually understand this movie, you're going to have to watch it a couple times anyway. So yeah, um, and then for me, that's just something that continue. That's a gift that keeps giving. Um, and Do you, you know, like Requiem for a Dream, but don't want to feel bummed. Watch Suspiria. <laughs> well, and I found that watching it's it the just second thought, time. Like, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you can go ahead. No, not that it, it's plot or thematically something for Requiem Dream. Just the way like vibes just strong right. vibes all the yeah, time the, 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 right and i, I think the dominant. first time i watched it i felt like it was more i had the more like 
growing dread, like the, the existential uncomfortableness and the, the scariness of it. And that slow burn build of something's going to happen. Yeah. And the second time I watched it, knowing what was going to happen, I found myself fixating more on the emotional elements to it that I didn't catch the first time because I was too busy trying to figure out who's who and what was happening and, and trying to find my bearings. So watching it the second time, I found myself so much more compelled by Susie's story and the emotional arc that she goes through and by the doctor's story. And I, I don't know, it was it was a much more emotional spirit experience watching it a second time than it was the first time. More, uh, I mean, with that in mind, I guess, what uh, what would you recommend people who watched this and enjoyed it? <laughs> are, there, are there other movies you think people should uh, check out if they enjoyed this version? Of- Oof, I mean... I feel like the obvious comparison is Black Swan, but I'm not honestly sure if I want to recommend Black Swan. <laughs> I would say if you're a fan of, of slow build horror, um, movies like The Witch would be a good one. Um, another movie I recommended Ooh, that is as, a a possible, as a possible one for us to discuss before this one was Climax, which is not a straight horror, but it's kind of horrific. It's also a dance academy and um, just kind of a feral experience that's that's really upsetting. Um, so that's another one I would recommend if you like Suspiria. Um, but it's a it's a different vibe entirely as far as it's still all vibes, but it's it's a different feel of as far as the movie goes. And there's no witches. Oops, all I feel like I might have recommended this when we talked about Black Swan, but in terms of creativity and distra- and abusive uh destructive relationships uh whiplash movie to check out yeah i feel like i kept waiting for madame blanc to be the jk simmons of whiplash and uh yeah it never it never happens <laughs> also you get to see miles teller get slapped and that's always a good time <laughs> Um, I just watch that shit on loop. Just slap it. Yeah, it sounds like you just watch that clip and you're good. Um, this there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I would definitely recommend the original Dario Argento stuff just to get some context. Um, and uh, especially some of the 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 imagery and the filmmaking there. Um, and pretty much anything anything german expressionist so like the cabinet of dr caligari just for the you know i know we're going way way back but you know if you want to really bookend the experience of this movie um and uh there's a a german series called dark which kind of has the same sort of uh sense of cold war dread but it has a lot more to do with um nuclear power um about a town a little town in germany that is has some sort of time jump situation in it and i don't really want to get into it but it is it is a very german um experience i think (laughs) Um, that this movie also uh happens to encapsulate like with the vibes and everything um certainly dark does not have the same amount of feminism and and you know kind of interesting interesting progressive elements that this movie has but um in terms of the vibes very similar and then um there's a lot of anime that has this kind of um quality uh 
that I mean, I'm watching an anime called Princess Tutu, which is very, very thematically the opposite of this, but it's about a dance academy and doing magical dances and shit. But in this case, it's like a magical girl thing. So if you like dance and magic, this is this is that, but there's no there's no body horror witches. Well, there might be a witch, but I'm not sure. Um, hmm. I, I think I was thinking uh, throughout this that this is the most A24 movie I've ever seen that isn't an A24 movie. Um, yeah. That it is, <laughs> it is uh, scary music intensifies throughout. <laughs> um, you know, it has that, that mood and that feeling of like being unsettled throughout this movie. Because uh, immediately, like when I was thinking about what to recommend, the first thing that came to mind is a thing that I full-heartedly feels in spirit with this movie but that i hate to recommend because it made me feel bad is hereditary um mm, mm-hmm. hereditary is a movie that came out of real bummed out you want to talk about requiem for a dream like hereditary is like it is genuinely scary but it was a, it's a real bummer um and you know along with that you know midsummer uh same director has the same sort of feel to it did not bum me out quite as much but is uh very much along the same lines um also this last week i watched saint maud uh it is a well-made movie that i do not care for because it is about uh religious fanatics and uh i frankly have had enough of that in my life living (laughs) in the american south um that i was like yeah this feels very believable i don't like it (laughs) i don't like it at all um and yeah i think you know if, if I'm aiming for something that I would heartily recommend that feels in some ways tied to this uh, sensation of this movie, uh, you know, maybe the Babadook, which we've talked about plenty on here, but has that same feeling of like, just, uh, just uneasiness creeping the fuck out. Like, it's a really, it's a really good movie. Um, and it is something that I would say people should see as compared to like, Hereditary, where I'm like, I mean, it's good. I don't know if you want to watch it or not, but... <laughs> It is well made. Oh yeah. Well, and speaking of things that are good but hard to watch, the uh, um, the Lars von Trier trilogy, the, the Antichrist, Melancholia. I mean, they're good. They're well done. Very difficult to watch. Um, if you want something that is like basically the body horror scene, but the whole movie, Antichrist. We do, we do not heartily recommend Antichrist, but it is similar <laughs> in some ways. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah. Well, with with that said, uh, Skylar, where can people find you online? Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, my handle is at Skypatridge, and that's S-K-Y-E-P-A-T-R-I-D-G-E. And then on my website, and that's SkylarPatridge.com. So super simple. Fantastic. And uh, Emily, can you let people know where they can find you online as well? The Megamoth. Um, I'm Megamoth at Megamoth on uh, Twitter, Patreon uh tumblr the internet megamoth.net um and you can find me at mega underscore moth on instagram so check it out ben what about you uh you can find me online mostly on twitter at at ben the con you can find links to my old works at benconcomics.com and uh immortals phoenix rising from great beginnings the comic book tie-in set after the end of the ubisoft video game uh out november 23rd so be on the lookout for that fantastic and as for me you can find me on twitter and instagram at jrome58 it's j-r-o-m-e-5-8 
Um, my website is jeremywhitley.com and you can uh, pre-order copies of the second volume of School for Extraterrestrial Girls coming soon. Uh, as for the podcast, Progressively Horrified is on Patreon at patreon.com slash progressively horrified. We'd love it if you'd go there and support us. It helps us make this podcast and helps us uh, make it more accessible and, and more fun for you guys to check out so we can do more stuff. Uh, we're on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod. Come tell us what you think of our all of our lovely things we had to say about Suspiria. Uh, and our website is progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm where you can check out all of our show notes and uh, links to all of the, the things we talked about, including our, our guests' uh, profile and work. Uh, and please be sure to rate and subscribe and review wherever you're listening to this because that helps other people find the podcast as well. Uh, so thanks again to Skylar for joining us. This was a, a ton of fun. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. And again, I appreciate you all talking about a movie that's really heavy within an hour of watching it, whereas I had a little more time to kind of sit with it. So no, <laughs> I'm really was, glad um, I got to talk about this it. This was a really cool movie to get to discuss. So yeah. thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, I, I watched it very late last night. Uh, I can tell you, my wife literally walked in in the middle of the sacrifice scene. So uh, <laughs> she, she walked walked in in the scene them? where there's an actual demon blowing at people's heads and everything is bloody and on fire. Um, I had to be like, oh, that's not what all of this has been like. But Can someone cut that scene with the dialogue from the kids in the hall skit where like the deaf demon is just like I squish your head and then everyone's head actually explodes <laughs> talk about the 80s <laughs> talk uh, about cold war maybe no. I know what I know what Gen Z kids are into and it's Gen <laughs> X Canadian sketch comedy does anyone else feel like feel of a, a huge sympathy with Tilda Swinton in this movie being the person in between the actual mother Suspirium and the ancient ass mother. Are you saying that Tilda Swinton is the millennial in this movie? <laughs> well, yeah, that was kind of what I said earlier is that yeah. kind of the transitionary yeah. role and she's, she winds up kind of being the sacrifice between the old and the new. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> she's trying so hard, but still beheaded by the boomers in the end. Right. <laughs> fantastic well we'll leave you on that note thank you for everybody for listening uh and until next time stay horrified progressively horrified is created and produced by jeremy whitley this episode features jeremy whitley ben Kahn, emily martin and skylar patridge all opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended for the rep- to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us on Patreon and contact us on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. <laughs>